Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking Formula One podcast. My name is Ben Hocking, joined by Samuel Sage and Harry Eid. Guys, just after Easter weekend, how was it for you? Alone. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say boring, but yes, alone. I mean, we weren't alone, Sam. We just weren't together. Oh, you're always in my heart, lads. I haven't got more than one heart. I meant you're always in my heart, lads. The pluralisation was on men. There are two of them that aren't me here. That was very difficult. I've over-explained that. Let's move on. Yeah, let's. I mean, a very simple question about Easter managed to turn into something incredibly emotional. But um, yeah, so tonight we're, we're going to do a slightly special episode. Um, I'd like to think all of our episodes are slightly special, but I mean that in that the topic's going to be a bit different. Um, we're going to be doing a Q&A session. So we have asked the masses, um, and one or two have replied, on Twitter and on Instagram and on YouTube. We've, we've put it out there. We've said, what do you want to ask us? Literally anything is on the table. Um, so we'll have a look at what people have asked us, and we'll be going through those answers later on in the show. Um, but first of all, um, some rather sad news that came out of this weekend is that Sir Sterling Moss at the age of 90, passed away after a long illness. Um, obviously, Sterling Moss well before our time, but he is one of the most decorated drivers in F1 history. I think most people would agree he is one of, if not the greatest driver, never to have won the World Championship, 16-time Grand Prix winner um, in all the races. He, he won over 200 races across his career as well. So. Um, an amazing career and uh, sorry, just just a very brief one on this Sam Harry um, you know what, what do you think about um, what, what do you think about Sterling Moss's career I mean he's, he's an absolute legend within British motorsport right yeah couldn't be more legendary pretty shocking to hear that he's no longer with us it's another incredibly sad loss I mean I'm not going to come here and slag him off am I the, the poor man isn't here anymore he can't even defend himself but I couldn't slag him off if I wanted to, whether he's here or not. That bloke is one of the greats. It makes you proud to be British. You know, he, he's creating a lot of heritage for Formula One. He's a brilliant, brilliant bloke, and he will be missed massively from the uh, the motorsport family, community, and he'll be remembered. Yeah, I mean, he's the, he, Sterling Moss is the, the archetypal racing driver, isn't he? He's the, you know, who, who everyone, in would 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 know about i mean maybe not this generation our, our generation but back in the day he was a, he was a household name everyone knew who sterling moss was so um yeah it's sad to see him go but my god did he have a good innings did he fit in enough into his life um yeah as you say 200 wins to his name should have desperately had a world championship but that doesn't make doesn't make any difference to his career success i don't think and um yeah he shall be missed. That's a, another sad loss for F1. Absolutely. And motorsport. Yeah, obviously. yeah. Um, and a point you picked up on, Harry, I think that it is important to remember Moss was racing at such a dangerous time where a lot of people did not leave their careers with their lives intact. And Sterling Moss not only um, survived his years in motorsport, he, he had a full life from there on after. I mean, it's what, 58 years since he retired from the sport. So it's great that, not, you know, not many from that era were able to live a full life, um, but Sterling Moss was one of those. And to go back to the point, I, I, I 
have always said, I think he is without a doubt the greatest driver never to have won the world championship. Um, and it, it speaks a lot to the fact that he has the most wins of anyone who has never won the world championship. In that era, he only raced 66 times. Like, think of the amount of drivers that have raced more in Formula One Grand Prix as the number of races per season has increased. And it's incredible how that record is still intact. We've seen, like, use race wins as an example. Fangio held the record, and then Clark, and then Stewart, and then Prost, and Schumacher, and more than likely Hamilton will now claim it because they've just had more opportunity. It doesn't necessarily mean that the person that has come after has been better but they've had more races in order to achieve what they have so it's it speaks volumes that that sterling moss record is still intact even to this day and a 23 percent win rate he was runner-up four times in the championship um he he was a world champion in everything but name um and all of our thoughts do go out to his family obviously a, a very tough time um but we're going to move on um we are going to go on to our Q&A now, um, as we referenced at the start of the show. People have, in their droves, not really, got in touch um, with their questions. And we're going to go through them now. So starting with a question on Twitter from KidsLoveF1. Thank you for this question. It is, what is your favourite Ricardo dive bomb? It was inspired, obviously, by us being late-breaking. Arguably the best late-breaker in the game right now. Harry, what's your favourite Daniel Ricardo dive bomb? This is a this is a good question, kids love F one because there's a lot of them. He's dive bomb a lot of people. Um, there's a couple that spring to mind. The one for the lead in China in 2018 against Bottas because that was millimeters from disaster, but it was judged perfectly, and he obviously then went on to win the race. But the one again is on Bottas, but in a different year that springs to mind the most is Monza 2016, and he comes from absolutely miles back like no car deserves to be overtaken from that far back and i'm sure bottas thought the same thing um yeah he absolutely sends it if you watch the onboard he's oh, the onboard camera he's celebrating it uh straight after in the cockpit so um yeah look there's so many to choose from but those two definitely spring to mind but i'll plonk for 2016 monza as the my favorite Good one stuff. sam what about yours well i'm annoyed that harry's gone first because it's just taking the best... They are the best too, in my opinion. And the the cheek, the pure cheek of... Not only are you going down a possible world champion contendee of Valtteri Bottas, you then stick your hand out the cockpit, give a cheeky, you know, f- finger-thumb uh, wave as he likes to do on the uh, the podium. And he says some kind of really cheeky lines. I'm like, you know, how'd you like that? Or, you know, eat that one up. Or something like that over his team radio. He's so proud of it. The arrogance of it. But he's so... I, I'm allowing it. You could be as arrogant as you want when you're putting a braking manoeuvre off that far back. It's exquisite. It's gorgeous. He's licked every first-class stamp and sent it. And I can watch overtakes like that all day long. You don't get those out of a lot of drivers. And my God, can that man hit the brake when he needs to. So, yeah, Ricardo Monza is, I think, the best dive bomb. Um, uh, actually, I picked out those two as well. However, I did have a third one. Uh, that hasn't been mentioned yet. Yeah. And that is the one into turn one at Azerbaijan. Um, was it 2017? Um, it yeah, three yeah. Cars, isn't um, it? I, that one sprung out as well. Um, I'm actually going to go for the China one as the best one, though, just because um, as, as brilliant as that was was at Monza, um, the timing of the one at China 
how he absolutely needs to get past for that victory. Um, that one takes it for me. Okay, question number two. This one is from Sam O'Gara. What team, past or present, do you think has always had good liveries? Sam, you can go first on this one. Well, but, but again, it's obvious. I mean, there's a lot of great livery teams in, in, in history throughout time. You know, we've got so many that stand out. But I think the team that always delivered great liveries, and we've had one released on the F1 2020 game as it's coming as a Schumacher special, is Jordan. Jordan have, I think, in my eyes as a team, got the best liveries of all time. I've declared my love for the, uh, the, the, the gorgeous yellow and black wasp-like livery they had in the early 2000s and late 90s. The yellow, not the yellow, the uh, the green and blue seven up livery is a lot of people's favourites, or is up there with their most iconic liveries. For me, Jordan as a team have always managed to stand out on the grid uh, over so many people. Even with the likes of Ferrari having their iconic reds, you know, I just think that they've always gone above and beyond. I'm not really sure why, but they really stand out. There's other great nominees, you know, Spiker. I've always enjoyed the orange that they had there. Uh, Arrows as well, of course, hang orange too. Lotus have had some great liveries. So did the Williams of old. Uh, and as did the Marlboro McLarens. But uh, but yeah, for me, Jordan is by far and away the best livery team across its lifespan of a team. All right, Harry. Yeah, I don't want to agree with Sam. Who does? But uh, yeah, exactly. Um Jordan has got to be up there for, for liveries. The green 7-up uh, 1991 car, the yellow buzzing Hornets car. Um, but, okay, <laughs> to mix it up, though, I'm going to say... Bless you, Ben. Um, that was a cough. I'm going to say... Oh, what do you say for it, a cough, then? You bless. Big Rona. Right. You, whatever. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, right, Lotus. That's the team I'm going to say because they had, they've had, some, they had some iconic liveries. Maybe not in their their latter years, but you know, you go back to the '60s and the, you know, the the green with the yellow stripe, iconic Jim Clark uh, liveried car. And then you go to the when they, you know, first team to get sponsorship when they rock up with sponsorship uh, with the gold leaf um, tobacco sponsor, that gold and red. Car and then obviously the the JPS lotuses which are which are famous in a uh, motorsport folklore, um the black and gold which as as hard as Haas and Renault have tried since they've never really emulated properly. So um, I agree with Sam, but I'm gonna to be different. I'm gonna say Lotus. Fantastic choice. That would have been I think my other choice. So hats off to you. That's a, a brilliant choice of liveries. Yeah, I mean I can't argue with either of those. Uh, the Jordans have always been beautiful. Um, same with the lotuses. Um, I think Arrows is another good name that you bring up, Sam. I'm, I'm going to go for Jaguar here. Um, you know, I, it's very well documented how much I love those Jaguar liveries, particularly the R1, uh, but the R2 and the R3 were were fairly close as well, I think. So, yeah, Jaguar takes it for me. If, if I had to pick out any other names, um, maybe maybe Benetton I'd throw in there as well. They, got, they had some good liveries. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for Jaguar. It was definitely the um, the gold rims that sold it to you, though, about the Jaguar, right? It was definitely that. All about the gold the rims. Yep, yep, yep. All about the gold rims. It ben. says a lot about how beautiful the Jaguar livery is that it can overcome the disgusting element of it, the one and only disgusting element of that Jaguar, and that is tacky gold rims. Inui. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a man that never tried for Jaguar, but Takinui, king of Jaguars. Um, it shows that green and yellow just make fantastic Formula One cars. We've all picked a team that at one point sponsored a very well-documented green or yellow car. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> fun facts. Very fun facts. The, the funnest of all the facts. All right, next question. Uh, this one comes from Mike at F1 Fanatics. Of course, Mike has appeared on the channel before, um, and he's asked a very important question, possibly the best question we've had so far. How do you like your steak cooked? Um, and this on Twitter did lead to some uh, steak puns, um, which you can check out if you go to at Breaking. Get that plug in there. Um, <laughs> Sam, how do you like your steak cooked? Well, I won't make any mistakes with my judgment. Nice. Uh, oh, hang on, hang on. Do that. Say, say on, that get, again. Get your sound ready. I'm not going to make hey. any mistakes with my judgment. Hey. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to keep this one nice and close to the bone. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's medium rare is the absolute best way to. Oh, have sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, medium rare steak is by far the best way and the proper way to have your steak uh, if you're going to be a judgy snob as well. If you go to a steakhouse or anything else, you'll be looked at like a moron. But yeah, medium rare <laughs> for me. A little bit bloody in the middle. That, that's how I take it. <laughs> Fantastic answer. Harry, like what have you got? Like a good vet could save it. Um, I, again, just have to agree with Sam on this. I, I hate to say medium rare is the only way forward for your steaks. And a bit bloody in the middle. Not not that it's still mooing, but um, but <laughs> bloody in the middle nonetheless. I don't I don't have a cow sound effect. I'd like to stick one for you. If you had thirteen minutes and forty two wow. seconds predicted at the first time <laughs> Sam would moo on this podcast, well done, <laughs> you win. Um, I've, I'm all, I'm all aboard the uh, the medium rare train. To be perfectly honest, choo 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 choo. Uh, <laughs> More sound effects. Yes. I love it. Um, yeah, medium rare is the only way to go. Um, if you like your steak, well done. We are completely inclusive, but please leave. <laughs> uh, no one listens I'm, to this I'm podcast anymore. Okay. Now, now we've got that important question out of the way of we can get some that don't matter as much. I'm kidding, of course. We've got we've got a question. Um, this is actually a, a serious one as well from David Noble on Twitter. Do you prefer the um, quicker, more aerodynamically sort of compact 2008 era cars or slower, more sleek, simple designs? Uh, an example he's used is cars of the early 90s. So what... What style of car do you find best, Harry? Oh, I don't like the I don't like the 08 cars. There is there are too many bits hanging off it by the end of that year. Um I I I do I have to choose between 08 and early 90s or is he talking noughties in general? Um I I mean he used the the years as an example but it it was more just a general okay. question. Because I think my, my, my favourite era of cars for style, and maybe it's just the, the age I am and where we grew up with F1, but like the early noughties, particularly like 03, 04, 05, those cars, they, I think they just look so cool. They're, they're, I know they're narrow and some people don't like that, but they're just 
they're just they look light, nimble. There's not too many bits hanging off them, uh, but there's there's not a lot of aerodynamics, and I just think and they sound ridiculous as well. Um, yeah, I think early noughties for me would edge it over over early nineties. But again, I I like those as well. To be honest, fair enough. Sam, what do you think about this one? Well, firstly, a lot of love to Big Dave. Gives us a lot of support. So thanks for the question, buddy. A lot of time for that. Um, I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as Harry. 08 has a lot going on. Um, you know, it's kind of when you're going on a date and you look at the date across, you're like, you've maybe, you've maybe overdone it a little bit there. Simpler is sometimes a little better. Um, but, you know, you know wow. it's still beautiful. You know it's still what you want. And those Naughty's cars were, oh, they were naughty. They were naughty to look at. They were amazing. You know, they were, as Harry said, they were so nimble. They were powered brilliantly. They sounded great. And yes, we're all of around the same age. So when we look back at Formula One nostalgically, that's the time where we were all really coming into the full watching of Formula One. So it gets exciting for us there. The early 90s had some brilliant cars. They were gorgeous to look at. But I, I just love, I love those cars. Yeah, so for me, they hung a bit of a special place. That's when I first fully 100% was consciously engaged in Formula One as well. Um, so for me, the, the the mid to mid to late noughties cars were brilliant. Um, I hate to agree, but I, I do. So, I, yeah, I've got no hatred for the sort of 07, 08 era of cars. They, they were they were great fun. Um, however, I think that they've become a point probably around probably around 05 when the sort of technical regulations came in then um, that were intended to help overtaking and help following and they ended up doing the complete opposite of it. I think at that point, um, they went a little bit backwards for me, and I do agree that the early noughties, uh, the design of the early noughties cars were fantastic. I think 2000, 2001. Um, actually, no, because I mean, 2003, the cars were great as well. I think just all of that era, really. Um, early 90s, I agree that sort of the simple design looks great too. Um, I don't think there's a defined recipe as to what makes a beautiful, good looking car that is also incredibly quick. Uh, but yeah, I, I think they, they, Got close to nailing it in the in the early noughties from uh, from that sort of period of time, um, and I mean, just yeah, a, just a, yeah. a quick point on that. On your, you know, like you said, the, the 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 simplicity and whatnot. I think that the new era of cars we've got coming up, which whenever that happens now, we're not sure, but I think that is going to be the perfect matchup between modern design and that big, simplistic, bold color scheme of what was going on in the early nineties. I think we're going to see some of the best looking cars we've ever had in the next four or five years. Yeah. I, I agree with that. My only issue is I think they just need to be a bit lighter. I think the new cars yeah, are still going to yeah. be quite heavy, but I, I'm, I'm down with what you're saying there. Yep, agree with that. Um, actually, David Noble has asked two questions. Um, that was the more serious one. Oh. The slightly less serious one is about Sam himself. So we'll let Sam answer it. Um, is Sam ever sensible? I'll ask one question in answer to that, David. Could a chocolate digestive swim the Atlantic? I mean... I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a joke. What an analogy that is. <laughs> I, I've got nothing. <laughs> what, I take a lot what? of pride at how often I shock the pair of you. Why, why, right, why that particular choice of biscuit... And why the why Atlantic? Not the Indian Ocean. Well, we li- the... I, I live by the Atlantic Ocean to a degree. Yeah, but you're not a digestive. Do you mean the? 
Don't you but live in the, the British Channel, not the Atlantic yeah, Ocean? Yeah, which flows into the Atlantic. I think a biscuit would survive a bit of the channel. Or Le Slur, well, if you're French, multinational. And make it to the Atlantic. If, especially a hobnob. I try to go for something that's very average, based in thickness. A hobnob would absorb the entire Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> that's, that's, exactly. it. that's why I couldn't choose a hobnob. Imagine a short a shortbread wouldn't stand a chance, would it? No, oh, I, I mean... The issue with the custard cream is it would separate, and then you wouldn't know what side you were following. Pathetic shortbread wouldn't make it out the harbour. <laughs> You're listening to Biscuit Chat with the LB boys. <laughs> the being LB, shout a biscuit. <laughs> Late <Light> biscuit. biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Thank you, David. That was brilliant. Yeah, so in answer to the question, is Sam sensible, if that discussion doesn't tell you one way or the other... You need to work on your observation skills. Um, we've got two more questions. Uh, firstly, from Nikki on Twitter. Uh, thank you for the question, Nikki, because it, it's just a lovely question, basically just asking, how are you guys doing without F1 and how are you, how are you spending the time? Um, obviously, it's a bit, of a bit of a weird time for us all. Um, Harry, how have you been spending the last few weeks? Um, I've been talking to you too. Yes. Uh, a lot. And I've I've cooked a lot of food. What have you been and cooking? And I've oh, I've, I've been getting into cooking some some big bits of meat lately. Ooh. You know, I did bit, I did some duck the other day, and then I did I did a big, uh, big, uh, big bit of pork pork leg. And uh, what else did I do? Oh, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, so a bit of cooking. Uh, Joe Wicks is my new favourite friend. He um he keeps me he's sem- semi fit and kills me every time. And apart from that, I just sat in a corner and cried because there's no F one. The late breaking F one podcast sponsored by veganism. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up, have you are you gone vegan as well? No. Oh, good. No, but clearly I was, I mean, in reference to the just cooking loads of meat. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> That's a good point. Because I've definitely not no, gone vegan. Sorry, not. sorry. No, sorry. We're, we're not sponsored by veganism. Definitely not yet anyway. Um, okay. So Sam, how have you been spending the last few weeks apart from shouting at youths from your balcony? <laughs> um, folks, there is photo evidence of me sitting out in the garden on an old rusty chair, looking like a an old American on their balcony, going "Get off my damn porch!" Um, I don't actually spend my day doing that. I was sunbathing because it was nice weather, but I couldn't leave the property. I shaved my head. Um, I was yeah, one fun. of the many fools to do that. So my hair is growing back; it's returning. Thank God. I thought I might be bald forever. Uh, I too have been cooking. And I am almost vegan now. I try and only have meat a couple of times a week. We'll never go the full hog. Get it? But um, hang, on, hang, on, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, There you go. And again, it's so good. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to be a little bit more uh, planet conscious. Um, and I've done a lot of online gaming, bigger sim racing, playing. I've, I've moved to Football Manager, watched a few people on YouTube. Um, and now I just torment Ian. <laughs> Ian is, in fact, a cat, a female Ian, cat. Ian. Yeah, not, not Ian Beale. There is not a, like a 40-year-old bloke who I also just live with. Um, Ian is a cat. He literally has someone locked up in a cupboard called Ian. It's all a lie, folks. I'm actually to... a horrible man. 
He torments him. Poor Ian. <laughs> I'll throw chocolate biscuits at him that are big in the Atlantic. What? Yeah, one thing that we have done, the three of us have started a, a championship of Project Cars, and it's it's proven that we are all equally useless at that game. It's amazing. We've done six races, and we're all separated by about eight points, and we are so bad. I think none of us have managed to go an entire race without facing the wrong way at least yeah. once. Every time <laughs> one of us gets some sort of lead, we mess up the next race, and then that just draws it back level, and someone else will take the lead, and then they'll mess up the next race, and it just evens itself out, basically. I mean, if anyone is interested in a kind of other type of motorsport gaming sesh or a bit of football or any other suggestions, if you want to play a bit of Risk, then I'm all for it. Get involved in the comics. Maybe we'll set something up. a bit of Risk. It's my all-time favourite board game. I actually, I've actually been playing the on the uh, Risk app over the last few weeks. You know what, Ben? You never fail to amaze me. Does that amaze you? <laughs> you ha- you always have the best apps, Ben. It's true. I do have the best apps and risk is well. You know what, Ben? Give, give us your, your top three apps right now. Top three apps. I mean, that- risk is definitely on there. Um, you know, I can't stay away from Twitter. Twitter is definitely one of Ben's recommended apps. Uh, I'm just going to have a scroll through my little phone, see what we can find on here. Um... Number three for Lux is getting excited. Oh, train line. Train line is a belter. Train line. <laughs> if you didn't know, well, folks, there train. you go. You've had it here. Ben's top three apps. Until next week, I'm late breaking. For the record, that wasn't a question either. Jazzy music. Is this jingle ever end? No. No, cut the music. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got there in the end. Um, apart from playing Risk, what have I been doing over the last few weeks? I've done a done a bit of sim racing as well. Obviously, uh, not quite to the degree of Sam. I, I don't have a wheel, um, which I really need to get at some point. Um, I've actually been just re-watching the 2012 season. I'm literally five races in now. So, um, I, Who do you think is going to uh, win? Uh, my money's on Perez, but Alonso could have it. Did you? Um, I, heard, I heard you heroically saved your girlfriend from a bumblebee. Oh god! Yeah, that was, that happened. Um, <laughs> that was a weird one. I've actually we've actually bought an indoor bowling set. For, I mean, <laughs> what? Hang on. on. This, Why did we only find out with these things on a podcast? I mean, I've probably bigged that up way too much. It's literally like a a rubbish set from Asda, but. Have you got the shoes? No. Do you walk up to your own little cubby and go, I'll have a size eight, please? <laughs> yes, I have myself like, you put your leg my own shoes. You. I mean, they'd be more interesting than the other shoes you've yes, got. What, what size ball do you use for your ball? Um, testicle. No. Right, no. no. <laughs> I don't. Not on weekdays, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um... I'm not sure how... It's not really the size of any ball I could compare it to. It's like a... <laughs> like a football? Half the size of a proper bowling ball. Okay, oh, like a long bowls ball. I think we've all got an image. Yeah, so I think that's we, good. We, we do. Let's get on to the yeah. next question. This is going on oh, to... No, me. I don't think it went on long enough. <laughs> so, yeah, we do have the last question now. Now, this is a bit of an interesting one. Um, outside line on Twitter... Um, put together a very well thought out question um, of if we could build a 30 race calendar using 
any track around the world, whether it's hosted F1 before, hosts F1 now, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, the only thing is we did do this a few weeks ago. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking out that one. We built a 20 race calendar um, between the three of us and uh, it went all right. I think we, we got some good circuits on there. Uh, I'm just trying to think how we can adapt that question to make it a bit more uh, time friendly and also something that we haven't done before. Shall we just pick three circuits that we definitely want to feature on there? Sure. Yeah. Good idea. Each. Each. Have you got three in mind, Sam? Yeah, I would defo pick Bathurst. Love it. Difficult. A lot of crashing. That's what I like to see. Um, Daytona infield circuit would be brilliant. Uh, the banking, I think, would be better than Zangvoort. Sorry, Netherlands. A uh, lot of overtaking opportunity. It would be good there. And... The third one, I want to say Cadwell Park. Um, maybe I'll be pushing my luck. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, um, I'd like to see the Nurburgring back, please. But, mate, I'll let the comments decide. GT or full version? Oh, yeah. Didn't even think about that. Um, Harry, what, you, what would your three be? I would go for Silverstone, which is already on there, obviously, because it's the home of British motor racing. Um, I would also go for... Bar. This is going to be boring. It's going to pick tracks already there, but I love Spa. And I would also go for. Can't think of a track that's not on the F1 calendar. Uh, I would go for Le Mans because <laughs> I'd love to see F1 so F1 cars go around Le Mans, and it has to be twenty four hour race. Cool, cool stuff. Um, I'll go for three as well that haven't already been said by the two of you and I'm going to go for three that aren't on the F1 calendar now um, the Indy Grand Prix circuit I, I really love that circuit I don't even oh. know why um, I mean it's a good circuit but I, I just absolutely love it um, Fuji I'll put Fuji in there I, I think it's a pretty good circuit as well um, and oh, I would have said Nürburgring but I'll go with Watkins Glen Oh, you bloody love Watkins Glen. If you love it so much, why don't you marry it? Yeah, Ben. Oh. I'm now Ben Glen. Does that make you? <laughs> ben Glen. <laughs> that is so good. Oh, oh. <laughs> sensational. Ben Hopkins Glen. No, ben Glen is better. Well, I knew that Q&A wouldn't produce normal results. It's managed to produce Ben Glenn and also a top three app review. So as expected, I think you could say. I think that that went well. I don't think it could have gone any better. (laughs) Do we have another Yeah, we're going to go on something a bit more serious uh, now, which is uh, about Mr. Oliver Rowland. Um, obviously a Formula E driver, uh, races for Nissan at the moment. He was recently on the Inside Electric podcast. Definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't already. Um, and he was being interviewed and he voiced his displeasure, I think the word is uh, the most appropriate word to use is, um, people complaining about how much grassroots level motorsport costs 
but they're not really doing anything about it. Um, he, he used Lewis Hamilton as an example of someone who has spoken up about it before, but doesn't necessarily put any action behind those words. It, it wasn't really a dig at Lewis Hamilton specifically. I think it was just the first example that came to mind and it was more of a general displeasure. Um, but it does o- open the question up. I mean, Roland himself has got his own karting team. He does fund a few young drivers and, and sponsors them and tries to help them through their career. Sam, do you think that the likes of Hamilton, and not just Hamilton, but the likes of Hamilton, should be doing more to help at that level? It's odd, isn't it? Because this has been around, this discussion has been around for a long time. You know, should the current crop of top drivers be trying to make it easy for those around them? And Lewis Hamilton is a prime example, you know, the highest ever paid Formula One driver. But at the same time, him and his family crawled through possible debt. They barely got to eat. You know, his dad spent every penny he could on progressing Lewis Hamilton's career. So they've not come from the easy, wealthy background that a few other drivers have come from. Um, so you think maybe he'd understand. I think he does understand. But why also is it the responsibility of one man, whether that be Hamilton or Vettel or whoever you want to put in the hot pot, to, to turn that around? And I think companies such as Mercedes, such as Red Bull, Ferrari, other racing teams, and other major companies that are invested in motorsport should be doing more. They should be setting up, you know, um, free-to-drive trials. They should be setting up discounted schemes, you know. Why is there not the ability that you have it in football? And football is as hard is as hard financially to get involved with as, as Formula One is. I mean, maybe you've got to pay a bit more for a car, but it's not like football isn't dominated by finances. Racing is the same thing. Yeah, okay, Lewis Hamilton could do a little bit more. Maybe when he retires, he will. Fernando Alonso's done the same thing. He's retired and he's got his own karting team. He's got his own esports team. He's more invested in that community aspect now. And we might see that from a few drivers. But when you're racing on track, I don't really know if you've got the time and ability to yourself handle training, investing, scouting young talent and funding them and helping them while they've got a full season of competitive racing. If you're a a full organization such as McLaren or Mercedes and you're a worldwide name and you've got people everywhere, you can easily employ a team of a couple of people, maybe per region, couple in Europe, couple in America, whatever, to go around scouting some young kids and give them a bit of a shot and give them, you know, an all expenses paid ride if they're good enough. Why not? I, I think it's more onus on companies and the corporate side of Formula One and Liberty Media to do something to make it more accessible than it is around the drivers. They're a voice. I think they're doing a good job. I think it's a little bit much to expect them to not only juggle racing for an entire season individually, but also then individually go out and almost run a whole company themselves while they're helping other people or doing almost a charitable thing. For me... Your team's going to do it first, and then I think drivers and the community will follow. One of the things that Roland mentions on the podcast is that even if Lewis Hamilton or someone like him did not uh, necessarily start their own team or actually actively take a role, um, just the weight of their words sort of advocating for someone, putting their name to a few young drivers would be enough to sort of drive sponsorship up. He wouldn't need to do anything. He would literally only need to put his name on their name, so to speak. Um, Harry, do you think this is something that, that, that he could do or others could do? I, I, I agree with Sam in the sense that it's not necessarily his responsibility. Yes, he can set up F1 teams 
uh, sorry, set up like karting teams like Alonso has done. Um, but but I, I agree with Sam. The onus is on on the governing bodies of motorsports to make racing cheaper for for young drivers to 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 go racing. And I think this is something that's going to come out of the out of this uh, coronavirus crisis we're in at the moment, where there'll be lots of teams in Formula One and lower down the motorsport ranks that will be struggling for money. And I think motorsports across the board are going to have to become cheaper to run because I think we'll see a lot of teams drop off or drop out with just no money otherwise. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. You know, going racing is always going to be expensive, but it doesn't have to be quite as expensive as it is at the moment. Um, and yeah, look, drivers can help, but I don't think it's necessarily the onus isn't on them. Maybe they can lobby the governing bodies to help, but um, I don't think they necessarily need to be the ones trying to make it cheaper for, for other drivers coming up. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And one thing I would say is that Lewis Hamilton, he could put his name on a few young drivers' names. Um, you know, he could he could set up his own team and he, he could go ahead with initiatives like that. The problem is it doesn't really attack the issue. The issue is that grassroots is too expensive. If you're funding a few people to go through it, yes, you're probably going to catch a few more of those that have the ability of Lewis Hamilton. Like you've already referenced, Sam, Hamilton didn't have the wealth that many other young drivers coming through had. and He didn't necessarily have his whole plan laid out for him. They did have to, did have to really grit their teeth and get through it. Um, so I think the likes of Hamilton and those that have his ability, they will be caught if there are more people out there looking to see who should get the nod. But that doesn't attack the real issue that it's still going to cost too much. You're still going to have people fall through the cracks. Um, and it, it's more a case of rather than focusing on one or two individuals, you want to make the sport more accessible from as early an age as possible. That's what's going to get you the best quality field. Uh, and that's what's going to help make motorsport grow and um, you know fair play to what what Roland is doing no, no disrespect to him at all and you know what he's done with his own karting team is is great and you, you would want other people to do the same you know he is a full-time driver as, as well as plenty of those on the F1 grid and in other motorsports as well and he's he's finding the time to do it so you know credit to him for putting his money where his mouth is in that respect but yeah I, I, I agree I think the onus is more on uh, the sport in general from you know from the very top down to make sure that we are getting the very best people coming through i think if you look at some of the drivers that we've had in formula one and i think pay drivers quote unquote pay drivers are becoming a thing of the past to a degree i don't think we're having anywhere near as many now as we once had um but yeah, there's definitely more that can be done. And you look at so many drivers who are second generation and third generation drivers. It's a huge percentage. And the reason is not because, you know, it's a generational talent thing. Oh, I don't think it is, at least. I think it's a case of it's such a closed off sport that we're not actually getting the maximum potential we can from these grids. I think with other sports, uh, football, if you want to take that as an example, nearly every kid in the country is going to have an opportunity to play football and you are going to be able to spot the talent and then sort of get them into programs. It's very likely that the best footballers in the country have been found and there aren't many that are going to go under the radar. I don't think the same could be said for motorsport because it is so closed off. 
I think you've got hundreds of people all around the country who have the ability that many of those in F1 currently do have. But without the opportunity, without the training and the cost of development, you're never going to get that full potential of you know the best grid you can get. So I think for the sake of the product, the overall quality, the you know the governing body should be doing more. Well, be interesting to know who in the comments think. If you are listening, if you are wondering, talk to us on at L Breaking on Twitter, or if you're watching this on YouTube, of course, uh, get down in the comments. Let us know what you think about the situation. Should Liberty Media, should the governing bodies like the FIA be doing more to help fund uh, younger kids who are in maybe poorer areas get involved in motorsport? There could be some real hidden talents. Lewis Hamilton was one of them. Yeah, absolutely. We're always interested to know what you think, and particularly on a topic like this that can divide plenty of people and you know solutions fly around as to what you would do and you know we welcome those solutions please let, let us know what how would you attack this um i'm sure there's some great ideas out there um but until that i think we've pretty much wrapped up here sam do you want to get us out of here well if you enjoyed the ramblings on today the silliness the comedic behavior get involved you know come and follow us on twitter uh, we'll have a conversation with you there get involved over on youtube in the comments talk to us more like subscribe there that'd be great and share the podcast if you've got someone that loves motorsport and they maybe are looking for a podcast to get listening to then share that with them as well it'd be massively appreciated but in the meantime i've been samuel Zane. i've been ben hocking i've been harry e and remember keep breaking late